Welcome back, guys. We have a great episode for you this week. We get to interview Ali Frank and Asha Yeomans about their book, The Better Half. In this interview, we get to discuss race relations, generational differences, and what it's just like to create a book with your best friend. So we hope you guys enjoy the episode. We wanted to talk about um, the better half and, of course, talk about it, as Mindy points out, uh, when she says, with every surprise thrown Nina's way, I've connected with her character a little more. With every interaction with Nina and her BFF Marisol, I wished I could step into the pages and hang out with these two amazing ladies. With every gesture Leo made to win Nina's heart, I just melted a little bit more. Charming, hilarious, and honest, the better half celebrates the absurdity and joy in life and does so with grace and heart. I'm so proud to bring Allie Frank and Asha Human's dynamic story to Mindy's book studio and to share it with you all. I mean, whew, what an introduction to your book. I mean, do you think that this forward covers the essence of the better half? I think it does. I think just uh, working with Mindy signals to not only her fans, but to the world in general that, um, as a comedy writing duo, we've kind of, uh, we're making waves and we're being noticed by a comedy um, genius herself. And that's exciting. Uh, so having that stamp of approval on there is, is makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, for sure. <laughs> I guess. And I would add, you know, there's a long history of, this question in our society of, you know, can women be funny? And, um, you know, Joan Rivers really broke a boundary on that. And Mindy is now of our time, the woman who is really carrying that mantle and saying, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Women are funny, not just as stand-up comedians, but she's able to, you know, do it in books. She's able to do it in her show. She's able to do it when she's acting. So to have her stamp to say, and here are two more women who are funny is a huge compliment to us, um, particularly because we're not uh, young in a environment in entertainment which rewards youth and rewards the humor of youth but she's saying no these two women in their middle years are hilarious and so that's awesome yeah no i guess i want to know what it was what was it like to get the i guess quote unquote call from mindy saying you're going to be a part of her book studio Oh, I can reenact it. <laughs> no. 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 What? I mean, just excitement, ridiculousness, jumping around. Um, as much as it's great to be accepted by her, we really sought her out, too, because of all that she stands for. Um, her womanhood, her genius, the way that she um, spreads her talent across so many different um uh, ways of uh, areas of expression um, in front of the camera and behind in front of the scenes and behind. Um, yeah, we were beyond stoked. And as a fan myself, I'm a huge Mindy fan. I have her, the script of her first um, episode of the office diversity day that was written. The, the pilot was based on the British show, but first American written pilot, my favorite I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but I will say that 
you know, the reason we sought out Mindy Book Studios is because when we saw what she was saying she wanted to try to do with her imprint, we knew we were doing it. Um, we knew that we were confident that we could deliver on the work that she wanted to put out into the world. We weren't just some like, well, let's just throw it out there and, you know, hope and cross our fingers. Mm -hmm. We felt confident that we were delivering a quality piece of writing that would, you know, send her even further on a trajectory in the book and the imprint world. So it's, you know, we brought something equally important to her. Her imprint needs to have the stories that put forward what she's trying to do in the world. And we did have that. We felt pretty confident going in. I mean, I, I kind of want to piggyback on that because I definitely saw the connection between why Mindy chose your book and also your mission statement. Because I did. I was looking at your mission statement online where you talk about how you want to use humor, joy, and compassion to write stories that encourage candid conversations about issues such as race, religion, culture, class, privilege, parenting, and education. And I know Mindy's not afraid to tell those stories either, right? She's not afraid to get into the nitty gritty, to have these conversations that maybe people are afraid to have or um, are nervous about having, especially like I feel like in a lot of the culture we have right now, um, some people are just more nervous to have these conversations. And I think you guys do it in a way that is funny and smart. And it's it's just really, it, it gets to the nitty gritty. And I really appreciated that. And I, I wanted to kind of know why you felt it was important to tell this story and also just taking this leap of faith and like going into a writing career to tell these stories. Well, I'll tell you that leap of faith came with some support behind it. Um, you know, family and friends, our husbands, um, we had to go into it and say, we're not going to work anymore. How about <laughs> yeah. that, husbands? We're going to sit down and write some books. What do you think about that? With absolutely zero experience. <laughs> <laughs> but Allie and I, when we first met, we really bonded over um, a shared sense of humor and a fearlessness with talking about tough issues. And putting those two things together was natural for us. And we found it a way to deepen our relationship, but also our relationship with other people. Um, you can have a contentious conversation. And if everyone's frowning, there's going to, a fight's going to break out. <laughs> Somebody's going to bring the smoke. Yeah. But if you can make a person laugh at that same table, um, nerves are eased, ears are opened, and a smile on your face is just a welcoming thing. And like myriad of human expressions, you know that that person is approachable when they have a smile on their face. Um, so laying out weighty issues and doing so with humor, like you said, uh, reading our mission statement, it's not only the way that we enjoy entertaining others, it's the way that we enjoy learning. Plenty of groups have been studied and evaluated by their trauma, um, by their dark pasts, by the drama going on. And those are valid and important lessons and stories to hear. But there is there are other avenues and one that's very important to us for people to explore is humor through fiction. Um, it's an incredible way to develop empathy, um, to encourage someone to step inside of your own shoes. Um, and 
And again, if it's there for just a handful of people to come to the table and join the conversation, it's, it's worth it. And I would add, just as you said, you know, we're in this place in our culture where um, in our attempts to be inclusive, people are fearful to speak. Um, and we would go one step further of, of that people are fearful of laughing anymore and, you know, finding humor in things for being judged at what they might find humorous. And we want, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've been on Zooms or been in book clubs from readers and they've said from all, um, you know, our first two books, like, well, we didn't know if it was okay to laugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's always okay to laugh. And how sad that we are at a place in our culture yeah. that, um, you know, we can't, we, we have that fear with one another, you know, and there's a difference between laughter that comes from a place of being mean or harmful Absolutely. and laughter that's coming from a place of just looking at the humanity of all beings and really at the end of the day, how silly so much of it is. So we're not creating humor to laugh at black communities or Jewish communities or Latino communities. We're creating humor to laugh at humanity because we're nuts. <laughs> yes. that's just the commonality mm -hmm. absolutely love that yeah no i was just gonna say just to touch on what you guys just talked about i know you guys said in like past interviews about how you guys your approach is to not hit the reader over the head with some of the themes you guys are coming with just to kind of i'm trying to figure out the way you guys said it but it's easier to like teach someone something when you're like kind of just like handing them an information instead of just like you know hey this is the right thing you should be thinking or doing absolutely uh, you know and, and mindy's effort to seek out diverse voices that are also humorous. Um, I, I mean, that's the point. I, I've yeah. learned so much from Allie about the Jewish experience by being in community with her in conversation with her and in laughter with her. Um, she can pull me back in line if I say something that's out of turn and she can ed educate me with love and humor. Uh, and it doesn't hurt my feelings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're hoping to do as well. And those books that are out there that do hit the reader over the head that are trying to impart these hard lessons, they make themselves available to plenty of people. We don't want to um, minimize their impact, but there are some people to whom that sort of message is difficult to swallow. It's hard on their hearts. I'm a sensitive girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If someone cries in the room that I'm in, I'm going to cry too. I'd much rather laugh with them. And that's the avenue that I prefer to learn in. And um, it was natural for Allie and I to welcome our readers into that avenue. Yeah, we just, we don't want anyone to believe that the only way you can gr grow your learning of another community is to only explore their trauma and drama. That. Mm -hmm. It's not the only way. You can't say that I have I have a full uh, a fuller understanding of the black experience in America because I've read ten books about slavery and then about nothing else. Yeah. Like that is a part of the story. That is not the whole story of being black in America. You can't say I have such a richer, deeper understanding of being Jewish 
because I've read a bunch of historical fiction about the Holocaust. Well, Jesus was Jewish, so there's a lot more to cover there. <laughs> Jewish. You got millennia. So we just want to offer other ways to explore different races and religions and the discussion about them than just the really devastating parts. Yeah, I was going to say, I really love your guys' dynamic. And I was going to say, me and Mackenzie, like, have a lot of things in common with you guys. And even with the idea that I thought, like, we were on the same page about so much stuff. But even after reviewing your book, there was a couple points that we're going to bring up later that we kind of saw from different viewpoints where I was like, oh, okay. But I know you guys mentioned in past, like, interviews where people ask, like, oh, what is it like to, like, be co-authors? And you're like, oh, yeah, it's great. But also, it's just, like, this whole dynamic between me being an African-American woman and me being a white woman, just, like, the different viewpoints we see things. So I think we even noticed that with going through this book together. Yeah. Well, we would love to hear, I mean, <laughs> not meaning to put yeah. you on the spot, but something yeah. that maybe you saw differently or interpreted so, differently. Well, I was going to say, so one of the points we wanted to bring up um, was talking about the grandfathers um, and this generations of each person looking at like blackness differently in a way of like one feeling like they were they were selling out because they were in an interracial relationship and how does that make them feel in terms of her own blackness and her own identity and I thought that was a really interesting standpoint and it was something I feel like I have seen before with some of my friends or from people like it's it's a true experience and I and also the idea of you know understanding someone else's like wokeness and how that word has kind of become weaponized now and it's not necessarily used as it was intended and I feel like talking about how other generations might look at where we are today versus where we are where we're before and it was just a really interesting read and we were just kind of discussing I, before we talked with you and I was telling her and I was like and the line only is reserved for the old, the older generation I was like well <laughs> So like I was telling, I was explaining the Herc, I was like, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of disconnect that happens sometimes between an older black generation, a younger black generation, just like we're all living through our blackness in a different time in America. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> pretty much that. Oh yeah. One of my favorite things to, to say is, well, you know, Jim, he's not racist. He's just old fashioned. <laughs> yep. You yeah. know, I can laugh at that. I'm not excusing Jim. But I can understand him and the the era where in which he grew up. Um, I don't have to condemn a person for that. I can find the humor in it and keep yeah. moving forward. And maybe with Jim by my side. Yeah. <laughs> no, I and think it's there, there's still this human experience with. I mean, I love that scene with Fitzroy around like around the table with Nina and Xandra and just, you know, laying into her. Um, and it was very specific to being the only and being black, but that experience of an older generation mm -hmm. schooling a younger generation of you have no idea how easy you have it mm -hmm. in comparison. That is a human commonality. I don't care who you are but if you are around multiple generations in your family someone has told you you are clueless you have no idea uh -huh. yeah and oh, I, yeah. 
I loved that too. And it reminded me a lot also of Sonali's book and the vibrant years, the, some of those commonalities of having multi-generational families and some of them living under the same roof or having these, these traumas and how each generation looks at it so differently. Um, and it's in some ways it's like a healing process. And in other ways it's, you know, does it hold you back if you're holding on to all this trauma? And I felt like, you know, your book is really wonderful and kind of laying that out and how each generation looks at it so differently. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we need to inform. I mean, I have two sons who are of mixed race and I need to be realistic that um, the world will look at them with a pair of eyes that may be different from the way their father and I look at them. And I need to equip them with the skills to survive and thrive, especially in, that, in the region I live in. It's very um, white here in Seattle. Um, they're noticeable. Yeah. And so... I want them to come home at night, but I also don't want to saddle them with some of the trauma that maybe I grew up with or that my parents or grandparents passed on to me. I want them to live it and work it out themselves, but I do have a responsibility to impart some of that. Um, It's just easier to do it with some humor. Like, let me tell you something, you dating that girl across the water, but don't get caught after midnight driving through her neighborhood because it's not going to be good. I mean, you know, trying to be light. I don't want to scare them off from living. That's a double lesson. That's also like, get home, don't have sex. Oh, that's it. <laughs> you're hitting both of you. you. can't be driving there after midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. Uh, yes. true. Don't close the door after midnight. She knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another topic I thought was really interesting about this book, and you kind of touched on it when we first started um, chatting, was this idea of, you know, Nina is technically considered an older woman, right? Like, and we don't see those stories as much. We don't talk about like what happens in the second half of life, especially for a woman who is divorced and is kind of refinding herself, refinding her sexuality and, you know, regaining that confidence. And I loved that part of the story and kind of seeing her go through it and her emotions and finally being on top of her game and then kind of keeps getting pushed back out of her game. Like it's, you know, she has so many things to go up against. So can you tell us a little bit more about that journey and kind of why it was important to tell her story as someone who is a little bit older and getting, you know, her groove back. Yeah. So I think it's a misnomer that we try to um, push back of like, if you're a woman who gets divorced, there's your first half of your life where you're married and there's your second half of your life after you're married. And what we really tried to set up is that her second half of her life is actually after she has um, really arrived at what she thought was her professional pinnacle. And in all our books, we have the the rom part of rom-com has always been, would, that could be a nice addition, but it yeah. wasn't the end all and be all for our protagonist. Um, you know, she had a very full life to begin with and, you know, maybe this other part, um, came in, but we really wanted to explore this idea of, and I think it's, I can't say for other cultures, but in America, this obsession of I've arrived, I've arrived. If I just get here, it'll be good. And there's never actually any true arrival because shit happens. 
you know, wherever you are, whenever you are, and you don't know which way things are going to go. So for us, the better half was this idea that she had very stuck in her head of like, when I arrive to my professional pinnacle, all will be good. I will be in control. Um, and indeed, that's actually not the case. Yeah. Um, for me, it's it's about the different um, time periods in a woman's life, you know, that it feels like they're, we're more in for the setup than maybe women are. And maybe it's just that I'm noticing. You can help me out here, Leroy. But, <laughs> you know, you, you're adolescent. Oh, no, she's got the curse. You know, it's going to be pads and tampons the rest of her life and mood swings and cramps. And she's got to get a water bottle. Um, and then it's gotta hurry up and get married, push those kids out. And then menopause. Oh, you're gonna be miserable again. Hot flashes, no sex. And you know, you don't matter that's anymore. it. No one's gonna, you're, you're not gonna see yourself represented in the Clairol commercials any longer. Oh my God, where did you pull Clairol? Um, <laughs> I was born in the seventies. <laughs> um, and we know that's just, none of those things are true. Yeah. For every single woman in in all the same way. Um, we know so many women who are vibrant and live active sex lives like Nina yeah. does. Um, who go after it in career-wise, who are taking care of their bills, um, who are making room for love, but it's not their obsession. Yeah. So we're hoping to dare women especially and people everywhere to challenge what society says is coming next for them in the next half of their life. Well, and I think we're a little bit of an example. I mean, we didn't start writing until we were 43. I didn't realize we were Nina's age when we started writing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, most people probably would have assumed, you know, Asha was an amazing teacher. I was a school administrator. I worked a long time to get there, like, you know, well, well, we'll probably just write our lives out in those careers. And instead we chose to make this huge leap into an industry where A, we had no experience, B, where we were at an age where people sort of start dismissing women and three, like, okay, well, let's just pick the hardest thing in the world to do, which is get a book published, let alone three. Um, you know, why, why would you do that? And now we're in this whole arena that we could have never, ever imagined. And that didn't happen until our mid forties. Yeah. I was going to say Lauren also has like a very similar story to where she really, she's been writing like um, I'll stop the world for about 10 years. And right after she mm -hmm. has her first two kids, she was like, I'm going to get back into writing this book. So it actually like she was telling us, like she thought her life was going to be, I'm a mother now, but now she found this other part of her life, which was, being an author now and which is why I loved as well Nina's journey because as you said it was also like the pinnacle of her career and she finally reached the goal and I think it is very true sometimes we get so caught up in trying to get to where we think is the end or like we're we finally made it and then it's like okay we're here what does that mean now like what what does that look like for us and so I really enjoyed her getting there and then also just the idea of is you can plan it as much as you want and things are going to change in a flash anyway like you don't know and I think the blessings that she ended up getting from you know being with Leo and then end up having another child and that whole process but it wasn't something that 
was such an easy decision for her. Like it, it was a, such a life-changing thing and she had to think about it. And I do like that you guys didn't have her immediately end up with someone like Leo. Even though he seemed perfect, he's checked all these boxes. It was still a, I have to think about this. There's something telling me no right now. And like, why is it telling me no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nina, um, she didn't, you know, need Leo. She had to learn she wanted him. Yep. And there's a big difference there. And I think that going back to what you're talking about generationally, um, as women, we needed husbands before into the seventies, women couldn't have opened up their own credit cards Yeah, into seventies. We couldn't begin our own businesses. I was alive then. (laughs) Um, We needed husbands in order to advance our lives and secure our futures. Now wanting them is allows us, uh, I think, um, greater dominion over our own lives, wanting them or not. Well, and dominion over our own decisions, for sure. And I also think that brings up too, like that generational difference between um, Fitzroy, who is like, no, you need him. You need him in your life. Like you need us to move in. We need to help you and all of this. And I think it was really brave of her to still say, no, I don't. (laughs) I now know I want him, but I didn't need him to do this. Yes. It's super interesting, though, I have to say, because, you know, we've gotten a lot of reviews uh, already and, you know, (laughs) a lot of amazing ones, which we feel so privileged. And uh, I don't like to say lucky because we think it's a great story. Absolutely. But we have gotten some um, reviews that were very frustrated by how long and how much sort of analysis paralysis um it seemed that Nina was having over being with Leo or not and obviously we can't tell but I I am so curious if those um reviews are coming from women who are older and saw it less of a decision and saw it more like but wait you decided to you know, to have this child. So you need the father and you need the, you need, you know, and like, this is the way it should march forward. Um, Because for us, just because she made one decision about a child doesn't mean that the next natural decision is always then to be with the father. Like they're a life partner and a child are two distinctly different decisions to make and both very weighty. So that's been really curious to me. I wish I could know who are the people that are, you know, got frustrated with Nina that it took her so long to get to Leo. Absolutely. I also want to bring up, um, just because I thought the relationship between Courtney and Nina were very interesting. Um, cause I think we also always see like kind of women butting heads and, um, and I thought the one quote from the book really kind of summed up their relationship, which was people are quick to jump on one another and assume the worst. What happened um, to believing in best intentions until proven otherwise? And I know that's something that Jared says, but I think that quote really sums up their relationship because they kind of both are looking at things very differently because of their different stages and perspectives in their lives. But then they end up both being put in the same position, being you know, misled in a way. And I just wanted to talk more about how you came up with Courtney's character and like what inspired that type of character for the story. Uh, Well, 
So two things. First of all, thank you so much for bringing up that idea of best intentions, because that is something that Asha and I talk about and sort of one of our top level themes that plays in each of our books, because that is something that along with laughter, we believe in laughing together, I should say, mm-hmm. we've lost in our culture is that assumption of best intention in other people. We are now so quick to cancel. We are so quick, quick to shoot down someone's language. We're so quick to shoot down someone's opinions. And when we do that, then we all retreat rather than assuming whether how you would say something or ask something might not be in the same way, but that the way the person put it out there, owning that let's hope it comes from the best place and moving forward. So thank you for putting that out. Um, You know, it is, we're at a time where definitely women, white women are getting a terrible rap. And, um, and it's also, um, white women are getting a terrible rap. And then there is this really um, interesting sort of usurping of who can call themselves a, a woman and who owns being a woman in the whole discussion about, you know, transgender, no one's usurping and manipulating what it means to be a man, but also that language is there about a woman. So we wanted to show that there are some really big assumptions that are being put out there about white women that uh, in caricatures and stereotypes that aren't necessarily true. Um, It's the first time I think white women are sort of getting that treatment versus black women, but it's still there. And so we wanted to explore that also. We've never been asked that question. How'd I do? Oh yeah. (laughs) I will tell you that it is, I mean, white women are getting a bad rap. It's kind of funny though. Yeah. <laughs> Make some good, some good books about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and back to best intentions. Listen, if someone approaches me with language that I don't like uh, or language that someone else may hear that they don't like, I know the difference between a person who's trying to do me harm and a person that's making a mistake. I hope people respect my my level of attuneness to the world um, to let me handle it because it will be handled. People are smart enough to know how someone is approaching them with language, with their intentions. If they don't know in that moment, they're gonna take a moment, examine it a little bit more. And you can either make a beautiful friendship and welcome that person in and say, hey, what you said made me feel this way, but I still want to talk about it with you. Or if you need to take your earrings off and fight it out in the street. I am very, very confident in the fact that our readers know the difference um, in us trying to belittle anybody in the book, make a joke about someone and the difference between welcoming them in to laugh with us. Our first book was about private school parents. I mean, all of these include private school parents. All three of them do, but we're private school parents. <laughs> I mean, we kind of, you know, they're funny and they're absurd. And, and they're, they're us. Too. They're over the top and they're us. I, I will tell you, um, I did go to a boarding school growing up. So for me, I enjoyed reading that side of things too. And so just kind of- you go to? 
Where'd you go? Okay. <laughs> I went to um, Blair Academy. It's in Northern yeah. New Jersey. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <You heard laughs> okay. And I, I mean, I absolutely love the experience and I, I loved everything about it. And I made some wonderful friends from it because you're meeting people from all over the world. You're meeting people um, from different walks of life. I mean, it was just such a special experience for me, but it was so interesting to see it in like an administrative capacity. Like, what does it look like for a parent's perspective? What does it look like on the back end? So I, I really enjoyed that part of the book too. Well, and if I can get actually a really interesting example of what um, Asha just explained that we're trying to do for the the readers and um but was a best and a recent best intention that we had to assume best intention is our second book never meant to meet you the original title we love 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 and our publisher was like yeah no so then you have to go back to the drawing boards like everyone's you know gonna brainstorm possible titles um, and there's the action of we have to try to like let go of the title we love so much because we've been told no way, no how. So our team at our publisher is predominantly white and they felt like they were, you know, really being creatively helpful and sent out this long list that they had brainstormed of possible titles. Um, and Ash and I each looked at them. We also, we often say, okay, you look, I'll look, then let's discuss. Yeah. So we both looked and then we went through each one and we will say there's a reason we're the writers and they're the publishers, you know, but Ash was like, um, on some of them, she's like, my black card will be revoked. <laughs> that is our type. You know, and instead of being offended by a couple of them that they put out there, you know, we knew they were working hard on our behalf. We knew they're not the wordsmiths. And, but it was, they're trying to make our job easier by saying, we're so sorry, you can't have the title you want. Here are 20 of our ideas, but if you have ideas, but there were some of them on there, we were like, oh my God, oh, yeah. you really sent this across the internet line. I was like, I am not going to the cookout no more. And you are definitely not invited. Yeah. I'm trying just because I kind of like looked at interviews and read the book. I was like, man, what titles did they give you guys? <laughs> oh my gosh. What we'll look back through Leroy and send you yeah. something. <laughs> like, oh my yeah. God, can you oh my it wasn't for the better half. The better half was always the better half. Yeah. This yeah. is for our second half. But yeah, there were some bad ones. Let's just say some of the titles had the word fried chicken in them. Oh, oh yes. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I remember those now. See, I wasn't even mad at it. See, yes. I couldn't remember being mad at it. I'm supposed to be mad at it. I'm the one that gets mad between the two of us. <laughs> I and think I'm I the same way, too, honestly. Yeah. And I love fried chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Fried yeah. chicken. But then I get mad that she's not mad. <laughs> I, I totally get that. Um, I, I have a random question um, about the book because I, I read it and I thought it was genius. The idea of making um, the like, um, instead of gingerbread houses, Halloween candy houses. Is that something you actually did? Because I'm like, now why isn't everyone doing this? <laughs> Between the two of us, we've been teachers and administrators for 40 years you can come up with curriculum like that, you know, in a nanosecond yeah. of a thought. Oh yeah. It's like breathing. 
Yeah. I just loved that so much. I was like, oh, I need, I'm going to start doing this. Like, okay. Now, yeah. now how do we yeah. transition to our fun questions? Cause I have to ask about traveling circus and horse barrel racing. I, I was like, when I was like, I have to ask about this. And also I also saw a double Dutch and I was wanted to do double Dutch when I was younger, when I saw the movie jump, the original Disney channel movie about double Dutch, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a guy double Dutch. <laughs> oh man. I was good. You should have seen me back in the day. I would, I'd get in the double Dutch, double Dutch ropes on my circus equipment. So I would jump double Dutch on a unicycle. Oh my God. In the double Dutch ropes. Yeah, I was back in the day. I was, I was something else. I now can't, you can't get two inches off the floor. I can't. <laughs> and, and I'm sad to say that I, I did peak in elementary school with my <laughs> circus experience. I mean, I'm hoping to come back with this book, The Better Half. Um, yeah. and it'll give me a resurgence of popularity. So I have you on the downside? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on your better half? <laughs> oh, man. Yes, um, Allie and I have, I mean, everybody's got a story. And Absolutely. it seems like I've lived such a humdrum life. I mean, I spent a lot of years as a housewife, a mom, just going every day to work as a pre-K teacher, just a regular person. But thinking back on all my experiences, if I put them all down, it sounds like a James Bond movie. And I'm one <laughs> of the girls. Um, and that traveling circus was part of that. But yes, I was in a kid's circus doing acrobatics, tumbling, juggling, um, double Dutch champions for years. Um, and I still do it. My sister runs a jump club and I help her um, teach rope skills to kids for free uh, during the summertime. That's amazing. I can still jump a little bit. You only have to jump this high over a rope. That's very true. All I have to get up is this high. I can do that. Yeah. And uh, horse barrel racing? Well, yeah. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, I grew up in a rural part of Washington. We were one of two Jewish families in the county. Oh, um, so I would like to say not only did I horse barrel race, but I was a Jewish Horse barrel racer, which I mean, I challenge anyone to find. Doesn't that sound funny? I feel like that's the <laughs> end of one. I hope this is included in your next book. I'm just yeah. saying, I'm hoping there's a cameo. <laughs> so, you know, there's not, not a lot to do in rural Washington. So, you know, you do what most of the people are doing, and I love to be outside and, um, you know, honestly, it was just like something to do. Listen, I was a black girl living really close to the hood. I was hood adjacent. Okay. <laughs> I was this close, just a block away. And all my friends from school would get picked up from the projects first or dropped off, you know, after me or whatever. And they would see me out there on my unicycle and be like, what the hell is that black girl? My <laughs> unicycle? That don't even look right. <laughs> So um, I think both of us are kind of used to coming from this place of, um, you know, being a little bit out of our element and what yeah. people expect of us. Well, I would say other, even in our own communities. Oh, other. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my uh, gosh, can, we you, can we ask you a question? Then you can go back to us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because, I mean, I will say you are on the younger end of people who have interviewed us. So I'm super curious what you all, because he's your contemporary, like what you thought of Jared Jones. 
Ooh, that's really interesting. I, there was one quote and I wish I had my book out with me um, that I did think I'm like, oh, maybe this is me a little bit. Um, when <laughs> there was this moment when they talked about how this generation in reviews need uh, yeah. um, a little bit more validation and a little bit more of like knowing you're special. And I was like, okay, that that's a little <laughs> true. I do like to be told like what I'm good at sprinkled in, like when I'm doing a job review, I feel like I need to know that a little bit too. So I do think that part really hit well for me. But then there's the other part of me who is like, I'm not someone who feels like I'm given something. Like I work really hard. I like try to, I, I, in some ways I feel like it's put against us as like younger people that we're going to all be that Gen Z, like don't care. And I try to really push myself to be like, no, I'm not going to be that person. Like, you're not going to think of me as like, this young, you know, 20 something who just is here coasting. Like I'm going to put everything I have into this job. So I feel like that's where I differ, you know, from him, but I, I got parts of him. I was like, Oh no. <laughs> I can, I can say overall. And Mackenzie brought this up to me. Cause she was like, I can't wait to hear what you think. Cause I like, I am a diehard liberal. She'll tell anybody, but mm-hmm. I did come at odds, but I felt like I learned something. Cause I, I am that younger generation where I feel like I don't want to put up with, anyone saying anything because I feel like why should I like I'm in this moment in life where I shouldn't have to put up with someone's ignorance but I feel like I've learned from your book and even as you spoke today about not so much like having to I guess I would say I guess push my ideals onto someone just because I want this utopia and having to understand someone and maybe their life experiences yeah that's it yeah. <laughs> I love well, I love the Jared Jones character. And I think Allie, um, you know, as sort of like the the story weaver really in our partnership was it was genius that she brought this part into the story. But um being guided by the quote by Zora Neale Hurston, not all skin folk are kinfolk. Yeah. And I think it's important for the general public, for everyone to understand that. If you know a black person in Rochester, New York, and you ask me, do I know them? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have enough black friends. Yeah. Um, you know, we we are as varied in our skin tone, in our the wide width of our smiles, in the texture of our hair, in the level of our talent, um, at, in our politics and how we feel as anyone else. You know, we, um, I, I know that I have less in common with black women in the South than I do with just a woman in my own community, no matter what color she is because of our shared experience in this community. I've talked to black female um, book clubs in the South and besides being excited to see all those brown faces cause I am in <laughs> Seattle. Um, I did find myself uh, teaching them a little bit about just this experience of growing up surrounded by people who do not look like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I had maybe one black family on my entire block growing up. The others were all different flavors of Asian, different flavors of um, Pacific Islander, different flavors of white folks. Um, and so that experience informs my point of view in a way um, that I don't share just because of my skin color with someone who may have grown up somewhere else. So that's that's a very important part of the book we wanted to put out there. Don't assume we're all the same. 
I know Leroy and I have different ideas besides being of different um, generations, um, just based upon how we grew up. Allie's a an only child, by the way. I'm a middle child. Yeah. It impacts our personalities so much. Absolutely. And it has a huge bearing on the way that we work together. Uh, <laughs> we were at... Um, at the ALA this just this past weekend. American Librarian Association <laughs> in Chicago. So raucous. Oh my gosh. Those those librarians, they turn up. Yeah. Well, we're we were looking at Sonali's photos and I was like, she's definitely on a girls' trip. <laughs> um and what was I gonna say? I have no idea. Oh, I remember now. It's it's a product of being in your 50s. Get ready for it. <laughs> Um, but there were, we were sharing a mic and we're sitting this close to each other, sharing this mic, trying to, you know, jockey back and forth. And, and, and Allie grabbed the mic. And I said, did you all see how she grabbed the mic from me? Yeah. <laughs> Not because she's a white woman. It's because she's an only child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, you know, she's not exerting her privilege. <laughs> she's just kind of, you know, doesn't know how to share. I never have to share. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I, it makes me think of that um, that one pivotal moment in the book where Nina looks at Jared and thinks he's going to like go off on Wynn about like the whole thing. And she's like, oh, I see that. Look, we're here. And he does the opposite. And she's like, wait a second. Did I hear that right? Like I yeah. that that's exactly you know what I think of when you're saying that is like you might think, you know, someone you might think you have that connection and like, wait a second, actually, hold on. We don't. <laughs> And that yeah. was kind of a double lesson on the culture, right? Like everywhere I go, if I see black folks, I mean, there's eye contact, there's a nod, there's a hello to elders. Um, there's sort of this rhythm and pattern of making contact with each other that can happen on a nonverbal level, especially when you're one of very few in a room. I can look across the room and see another sister in the room and I know what she's saying by how our eyebrows are moving. Yeah. Um, but this challenged some of that as well. And I, I like that surprise in the story. Definitely. I was gonna say, Ali, you mentioned a story in a past uh, interview about you guys going to a black church event and you were gonna be like the only like white person there. Oh, and I was, was. gonna yeah. <laughs> And I was gonna say like, even though like I'm aware, but it reminded me how neurotic it is to be a minority. Cause I remember you were saying how you try to make yourself small. You didn't want to act out. And I was like, man, like, I forget that you do these things as like a minority when you're in like a majority, like, let me not like stand out too much. And I was just so funny to hear you like say the same exact things that I feel like a lot of us do in real life. But, um, yes. You know, it's really interesting though. I've actually been thinking about this a lot. Well, and kind of because we were just in Chicago, which feels just so much more diverse walking around than it ever does in the Pacific Northwest. And for me, like, ugh, I know me. Like, I, I know people like me. That's not that interesting. And that ex the experience of being in a room of people that look like me and seem like me, although they can be different, um, is not, it's just not that interesting. So being in that church situation, like that was exciting to me. That was interesting to me. And I've been thinking a lot like, well, why isn't that the case for more people? Why is comfort always the default versus the exception? 
Um, and I don't have any answers, <laughs> yeah. but that has just been on my mind. But I will tell you, because I have to tell on her for a minute, yeah. <laughs> moment of discomfort in that situation, because Asha is like, she will sell our book to anyone. And I'm much more reserved. Like, I don't want to push us on anyone. Asha will push us on like absolutely anyone. But so we were in this church and they, um, they were asking for testimonies and Asha just leans over and goes, I'm going to, you know, inviting people up onto the pulpit to give testimony. And Asha just leans over to me and says, I'm going to go sell some books. <laughs> <laughs> what? And so she walks up to give testimony and I was just shrinking. Like, <laughs> going to all go down she's like praise jesus we just wrote a book yes <laughs> i like i didn't know what the sales i'd seen our sales pitch at a conference or a bookstore but i'm like i've never seen a sales pitch at church <laughs> but okay Oh my God. Well, I feel I like that. the pulpit of a black church is kind of like an infomercial. Go up to like, yeah, I do nails. Like, you know, if you need your hair, it's like you go up, you, you mention is what you do, you know? The shout out. And I'll be selling plates out the back yeah. of my van after this church service is over. I got fried catfish and I got ribs. Don't yeah. be late. They sell out quick. <laughs> yes. Allie was a great one to take to that event as well, because I think just people um, looking at her would imagine she hasn't had the experience of feeling other but to have Jewish background um she did have moments in her life where she wanted to make herself smaller or or sort of hide her Jewishness whenever she could because to fit in is, is a huge um impulse for for kids um but out of all my white girlfriends taking Allie into those parties you know after the church service we were we were um at a conference for the Brotherhood of Skiers and uh, national Brotherhood the National of Brotherhood of Skiers. So mm -hmm. black folks from all over the country who were big skiers came to Sun Valley and got their fun on. And um, Allie came to the events with me. She's walking in, all doing the gritty, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, she knows what it feels like to be an other. And so it, it seemed that she didn't feel like an other in that environment, um, that there was a kinship already there. Um, and that really inspired me to, to want to learn even more about the Jewish experience for one and their shared experience with the black community. Um, it was a great learning opportunity and also funny to see her doing the gritty. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. We, we, we know we've been talking your ear off, <laughs> but, Oh, <laughs> two of us oh yeah, yeah. Oh, we're just avoiding editing so you can talk yeah. to us as long as you want we are chatters can you oh, tell we have episodes piled up i know we love it we we absolutely love it though um we wanted to ask you a couple more questions but before we um go into those we wanted to do a quick game of like almost like a this or that for you guys to see like part of like book themed um so i wanted to ask um are you more so a marisol or a nina mm. <laughs> see i would say that you are a marisol because she's more fashionable i like still shop at you know a costco for my clothes I feel <laughs> stuff like that you know 
<laughs> I would say that's true, but I would also say I'm less encumbered by niceties. Yeah, that's true. Than you are. Yes. So the way Marisol just sort of blurts what yes. she thinks mm-hmm. is definitely more me. And I feel like you're more careful with your it's something Words. we've learned from working with each other. Allie, um, and, you know, we've had to negotiate contracts and things like that. And she'll walk in. She knows her worth. She's walking in that room ready to say, pay me this or say goodbye. <laughs> For yeah. me, I grew up being um, conditioned to make sure everyone in there sees that you're clean. Your hair is neat. Make sure you smile, make friends, make sure they accept you first. And then you can maybe ask them for something. So not asserting myself as I grew up as a, in, in this skin. Um, it's something I'm, I'm getting from her now. So there, you know, that, those female relationships that between Nina and Marisol is important, but it's also important for us too. So, so I guess I'm Nina. Yeah, you're Nina. All right. <laughs> I know I did love the, the writing of their relationship so much just because I, I do see a lot of our best friendship in that too. And I'm like, oh yeah, like you're more so this way. I'm more so this way. So I, I did love that. Um, all right. Head mistress or beauty and wellness empire, which would you be? Oh, head mistress. Same. <laughs> Same. I mean, I was going to be. Okay. So, yeah. 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 How about cook or dine out? Oh, dine out. Uh, I'm Jewish. <laughs> Tasha, I have to ask because no one ever asks. I know you're a big cook. What is your specialty? Oh my gosh. No, I know one ever asks. What is your specialty? Um, Allie would say mac and cheese, just uh, because that's her favorite thing. I'm assuming baked. <laughs> yes for sure gotta have that extra level um it ain't gonna go down easy if it ain't cheesy <laughs> um gosh I think that you different people would say different things but I enjoy making traditional foods that have uh that have a traditional placement a reason so black eyed peas and greens on new year's mm. because they stand for um increased wealth for uh, families in the coming year, um, you know, ham on Easter, fried fish on Fridays. I love the uh, traditions of when and why um, foods are cooked in, in my community. Love that. Um, all right. Gingerbread house or Halloween candy house? <laughs> oh, gi- oh, Halloween candy. Oh, gingerbread. That's like old no, stale. I don't. <laughs> gingerbread. Really? Yes. I don't, I mean, no, Halloween is too tempting. I could keep it to just the house <laughs> yeah. on, on, on the Christmas house. If it was Halloween, I'd eat the house and the bag full of candy. My Halloween house would be all M&Ms. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. And no, no, no. And a chimney of Twix. I know. Oh. I was thinking of Twix when I was like, oh, what would be the structure? Like, <laughs> um, and then travel or stay home? Travel. Yeah. Travel. Awesome. Well, we just had a hellish experience <laughs> yesterday getting back from Chicago. Oh, so, oh man, our oh. cab driver was falling asleep, taking us to the oh, airport. No. Like, I mean, I'm telling you like this, falling <laughs> asleep, head oh, nods, God. eyes closed, running on the side of the shoulder. It was oh, scary. No. And let me say, this is where, again, you can't pin on a person who's going to ask 
act what way yeah i was in the back i became ghetto i was she like went, smacking my hands at him yelling at him <laughs> people would probably assume that asha would be the one to do that she's Not just me. like holy now, shit i'm the one that went to town she had to bring out her inner Shaniqua on this guy. <laughs> she scared me. I was going to say, I feel like that would also be me. I feel like I always um, promote talking to the drivers. Like if you're in an Uber or something and you're like a no, no, no silence. And also just in the restaurant, I would say like, she'd be like, I'm going to say something, but I'm like, don't say it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. It's fine. Just fine. It's fine. There's a hair in it. Just pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our last two questions for you. Um, we have to ask because we are Mindy the podcast. What is your favorite Mindy project? Oh, I already know yeah. mine. Me too. You I mean, person. The Office may, if it were to air today, I think that it would um, get a get criticism. Absolutely. Um, about the supposed inappropriateness that people might see about some of the jokes but I have watched that series alone with my spouse with both my kids many times over and over and the jokes still hold for me um I think it's hilarious I think it's brilliantly written um I can't boy diversity day is (laughs) one of my favorite episodes of that show um, I also love the 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 fire drill episode. Yeah, yeah that's a great one. Um, but yeah, I mean, fan? what's that? I said I'm assuming you're an Office Ladies fan. Office Ladies, I don't have I watch that. Oh, Jenna Fisher and uh, Angela Kinsley, they have a podcast where they go through the office. Oh, oh that's oh, see now you've schooled me to a new source of, <laughs> of, of office fun. But um, I thought Mindy was brilliant in that show and that she was one of the writers um, was very inspiring. I mean, representation means a lot in all sorts of walks of life and in the arts just as much. And seeing her, um, a woman of color, um, with such talent, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be that. And um, I love The Office. Love it. I can recite lines from it yes. all day. <laughs> I mean, and talk about being like the only in a room, right? She was yes, the only yes. female, only woman of color in a room full of men. So, yeah. Um, I would say for me, it's actually two different scenarios that she's developed. So that I think are just so spot on. So in or have I ever, I love the, uh, the relationship between Davy and her therapist. Oh, uh, same. Love it. And I think um, that relationship was so beautifully developed and way to drop, again, through humor, nuggets to young people who are watching it that were actually really helpful. Um, so I, I loved that through line. And then in Sex Lives and College Girls, uh, the um, part, the the moment that I just thought was so spot on, and because to me, sex lives of college girls was really exaggerated on a bunch of different levels. <laughs> but the the um, at the end of the second season, the hooking up with the good friend's ex boyfriend, oh. and oh, <laughs> I, I mean. Find me, you know, find me someone who either didn't do that themselves, 
who wasn't the friend of the person that did it. Like that's, and whether you're male or female, that is such a common experience of, you know, sort of sexual and relationship exploration. And then the aftermath that falls out of it. So I thought that was just like nail on the head. So many people could relate to it and made me really excited. Like, oh, let's see how this all falls out in the third season. So mine's more of scenario based. Yeah, we argue about that. That's like a big yeah. um, subject about <laughs> whether Whitney and Kanan should be together or if uh, Kimberly and Kanan should be together. <laughs> I never had a friend who got, I only I only had one date though. Oh my God, your dating life is so boring. <laughs> uh, we do have to ask though. We do ask uh, what sex lives a college girl character would you consider yourself? Both Sonali and Lauren both considered themselves a Kimberly. I think Kimberly and I forget... Um, like they kind of said a combination of yeah. characters. So if you said so like went a little bit Kimberly, okay. a little bit Whitney. Yeah. I can't. I think I think Lauren was completely Kimberly, if I'm correct. Yeah. Well, which one has the least, the fewest dates? Yeah. That's me. Okay. Whoever didn't mm-hmm. date at all. I guess it'll be I, another I, Kimberly. There you go. No, I, I mean, yeah. seriously. I I I'm, I tell I, you, I had one no, date. I will say he's in the back room yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 33 years one day she is Kimberly because you also worked so hard in school because your parents you know for you to be able to go to college out of state was a big financial burden that you didn't want to place back on your family so you were constantly looking for ways to supplement your income and your tuition um and I'm actually going to step out of it because I I know who my answer is although I can't believe I, I cannot remember her name but um, the woman who becomes the manager uh, at the coffee oh, shop. Oh, yeah. Lila. <laughs> yeah. 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 And she just, you know, says what she thinks. And also when she says things so point blank and there's a little bit like, was she joking or was, was that the truth? Um, and I just, I love her delivery and her personality um in that show so i'm going with her awesome well we kind of can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with us it was so much fun and getting to talk and have these deep conversations about this incredible book and we really enjoyed reading it yeah so pumped for it to come out on july 1st yeah so glad you liked it thank you thank Thank you. you thank you guys so much hey we hope you guys had just as much fun listening to that episode as we had making it Big thanks to Ali Frank and Asha Yeomans for taking the time out of their busy schedules to do this interview with us. And we hope you guys go out and uh, get their book, The Better Half, July 1st.